Our task tonight is to go over some of the essential attributes of God. Another one of those classes where we say things about God that should not surprise you, that you would think that a church claiming to go back to the beginning of church history uh, should say about God. But we want you to know that we say the kind of things you think we should say. And then we'll talk about God as Holy Trinity and the understanding of, of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's important important class tonight to get through that and we'll see where we we'll see where we wind up. So we say that Christians believe in the one true and living God. We claim it's a claim. The God who said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy five six. Moses meets God on Mount Sinai. Book of Exodus, chapter 3, 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thou, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. I am that I am. That's the God we claim to believe in. So when we speak of the essential attributes of God, we get into the omnis. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present. God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is eternal. God is changeless. God is omnipotent. God is all-wise. So omnipresent, God is everywhere present. The God we believe in, we believe that there's no part of creation from which God is absent. God is everywhere present. We look to Psalm 139 as a good expression of God's omnipresence. Psalm 139, picking it up at verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere present. There's no such thing as the absence of God. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. All-knowing. He knows all. He knows all things. 
And he knows all things in the eternal present, in the eternal now. That uh, God is not restricted to past and future, but everything God sees in, in the present moment. Why? Because God is eternal. Time does not exist for God. God created time. For God, there's no yesterday, there's no tomorrow, but only today. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 90. God knows all things eternally, perfectly, and directly. St. John Chrysostom, whom we remember this past day on the church calendar, said, God sees clearly and simply both the present, the past, and the future before they begin. So with the question of God's foreknowledge, God's not being restricted by time, comes the question comes the question of that humans have struggled with, the question of God's foreknowledge and our free will. That if God if God foreknows everything, then then how can we be free? And and the Father's answer basically is we're still free, <laughs> even though, even though God has foreknowledge of everything. The fathers say that doesn't, that doesn't remove our freedom. One theologian puts it this way: In regard to God's omniscience, there are many who wish to justify their evil deeds, and making sinful excuses, say that well, God's omniscience limits our freedom. Thus, they maintain we cannot do anything other than that which God foreordains. In other words, predestination, everything's predestined, everything's predetermined. We're just sort of robots on the stage of life. Um, God, so God foresees that I shall become a thief, and for this reason I become a thief. I become a murderer, a villain, without wanting to, simply because God so foresaw and preordained. He says, how great an error, how great a blasphemy. I do not become wicked or vile because God so foresaw or preordained, but rather because I of my own will because I so willed and desired am to become such and because as we have said all future things are present before God God foresees it but he does not control it St. John of Damascus says God's foreknowledge is not the cause of the occurrence of things but rather he foreknows that we are to do this or that in other words we don't do those things because we are coerced by God's foreknowledge um but because we, of our own will, of our own accord, with all our freedom, because we desire to do this or that, we do it. Good or evil, and God foreknows it. Precisely for this reason, we are fully responsible for our deeds. St. John of Damascus, again, thus that which we are to do does not have God as its cause, but rather our own free will. Not because God supposedly so desires, but because we so desire. The cause of our deeds is our own free will. So it's not so much even the fathers prove it. It just kind of insists on it. We still have free will. It may not make sense to you. You may, because God sees the future and is not having to wait to see what happens somehow, that means I'm not free. From all eternity, I decide to beat on that table, and existentially, I feel free, a free man to do that. And I think that's part of it, too, that we feel a certain freedom. We don't feel like we're... Uh, totally captivated by life. Now some things do seem to happen that it seems like it was meant to be kind of thing. People will say, well, it looks like it was meant to be, whatever that was. 
but um, we still argue very strongly for human free will. In fact, really, the essence of orthodox life, of spirituality, of our understanding of our relationship with God, and how we how we live and move and have our being, it is in God, but still it is based on our freedom. And our system, quote-unquote, of understanding is, is very much based in, in human freedom, continue to exist even though we make all these claims about God's power. And um, so there's really no system. It's more about we are freely acting and God is involved with us. God tries to guide us and lead us, but we're free to say yes or no uh, at all times. And that's the mystery and the power of the image of God in us. And the only way that we can truly be freely, free beings made in God's image is to have freedom, is to have free will. And many, many systems of theological thought have struggled with this idea of God's sovereignty and human free will and have kind of lent towards, well, God's sovereignty means we don't have so much free will. God's sovereignty means predestination kind of makes sense, rational, tightly figured that it's all, it's all, it's all in God's hands. And you'll hear Orthodox say, well, God's in charge, and it's God's will, and I'll do this, God willing, if God wills it, if God allows, but um, still, we, we, we affirm we affirm human free will, even as we affirm God's sovereignty. And, it, and again, it's holding two seemingly paradoxical realities together, but, but orthodoxy is very much uh, about, often about paradoxes, about grace and free will holding, working together, God's power and, and, and man's free agency holding together. Um, and so forth. God is eternal. God is not limited by time. He is the Lord and Master of time. He is, the, he is without beginning, without end. The Alpha and the Omega. For angels and human beings, there was a time when they did not exist. They had a beginning. But, uh, but we believe that human beings are meant to live eternally. But truly eternal means not only no end, no, but no beginning. So God always existed, is ever existing, and that's that's again hard for us, hard for us to grasp. We can, we can somehow uh, assent rationally to the fact that 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 we could live eternally. Um, but and but to, for something to not ever have begun, is is it blows our human mind. <clears throat> And that's what we say about God, that he always was. There never was a time, quote-unquote, when God did not exist. And again, Psalm 90. O Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, when it is past and is a watch in the night. A watch in the night. There were cities would have night watchmen, night guards, and they would they would have watches, shifts. We would say today. So a watch was there were like certain shifts. It was like one guy has the the uh, midnight to three shift or whatever. The next guy has the three to six, or probably was a little bit more divided up than that. Maybe 
the 12 to 2 and 2 to 4 and 4 to 6, something like that. There were watches in the night for the, for the night watchman. Psalm 102. Twenty-five through twenty-seven. Of old thou hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. There's the hint of, of eternity for us. Book of Revelation speaks of God in Revelation 1 4. He which is and which was and which is to come. He which is and which was and which is to come. And in the icons, and I forgot to bring my icon, but in the icons over the over the um the wreaths or the halo of Christ. I'm gonna get this next. It's um, all on. I'm getting it wrong. But anyway, it's all on means literally the one who is. It's the I am. And, and the reason is divided this way. Well, like that. Over Christ. All on. All. He who is. The one who is. One who is always. Who always is. It's the Greek equivalent of the I am that I am, or I am who I am. And uh, that's that's found on all the icons of Christ. You can't really see it on that one. It's kind of faded. But um, maybe I'll find a fresh one. But um, so we're, we're, we're identifying Jesus with the God who always is. The I am that I am. God is changeless. God doesn't change. God's teaching does not change. God does not contradict himself. And we talked about that with the Holy Tradition. The truth does not change. God does not change his essence, disposition, or his behavior. He remains ever the same. There's uh, no contradiction in God. He doesn't have one message for one generation, a different message for another generation. God is omnipotent, which is to say he is almighty. His power is infinite. Man's strength strength is limited. He is almighty, Pantocrator. The image of Christ in the dome is called the Pantocrator, the ruler of all, the judge of all. Um, as Luke says in his gospel, first chapter, with God nothing shall be impossible. The only impossibilities for God, the only impossibilities for God our falsehood and sin. God cannot be false. God cannot sin. God cannot lie. Sin has no place in God or in heaven. Second Timothy two three. He is unable to deny himself. God cannot do evil because evil is weakness. You could say, theologically, God limits his omnipotence only by granting human beings free will. That um, 
as someone put it, he he takes a certain divine risk in creating creatures that have freedom to say no, freedom to to invite their own annihilation. Um, that he shares his power with us in that respect. Though, as St. John Damascus says, God can destroy the world, but he does not want to. God creates the devils, the destroyer. He's the one who wants to destroy God's good creation. Evil is unnatural to God. Evil, again, would be a weakness, would be a compromise of God's nature. Go against the very being of God. God is all wise. The wisdom of God goes with his omniscience. No man or angel is as wise as God. 1 Timothy 1.17 speaks of the only wise God. Colossians speaks of him in him who in him are hid all the treasure all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1. We read in the Psalms again, O Lord, how manifold are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made them all. The wisdom of God is revealed in the wisdom of creation. That psalm which we sing at the beginning of every Vespers, Psalm 104. Romans 11, 33 and 34. O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? The greatest example of God's wisdom, we, we say, is how he saved sinful humanity. By, his inc- by the incarnation, by the cross, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, combining perfect righteousness and love. And the angels stand in awe and, and, and amazement at God's plans and achievements which lead us to repentance and salvation. And we often see the angels gathered in the corners of the icons of the various great scenes of, our, of, of salvation, such as the birth in the, in the cave in Bethlehem, and the angels are in the in, uh, over, overlooking and being amazed at what God is doing. God is holy. Holy. Which means God is absolutely different, unlike anything or anyone else that exists. Holiness means separate or apart. Unlike all that is the creation, God is uniquely other. God is likewise righteous, good, faithful, and true. God is holy, all holy, and rests among the saints. What do we mean when we say God is holy? We mean that he is pure and free from all moral and ethical imperfection, that he is a stranger to sin, that he hates and despises evil, wickedness, and depravity, and loves only that which is good and just. Thus it follows that God always desires to do good, that he always does good. In many places, Holy Scripture exalts God's holiness and says that God is holy, and the source of holiness... The prophet Isaiah saw the angels hovering around the throne of God, exclaiming, Holy, 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 Lord of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. God calls himself holy and calls us to sanctity in accordance with his example, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We note um, that there's another way of looking theologically at all the things we... We're all saying all these positive things about God. God is... Um, omnipresent, omniscient, eternal, changeless, omnipotent, all-wise, holy. The theologians, though, speak of the of the apophatic way, the negative way of speaking about God. This is just a unique, quirky, orthodox thing, which is not what you expected, I guess. To say 
God is greater than and superior to any idea that man can have about him. So, to say that God is, is wise, we could say negatively, apophatically, God is not wise. God is beyond every category, measure, superior to any idea, any experience of wisdom we have on the human level. God transcends our wisdom. So God is, you're not really saying God's not wise, you're saying he's beyond what we know about wisdom. You could say God is good, but then the apophatic would, way would say God is not good. God is beyond every category, experience, knowledge, level of, of goodness we find on the human community. God transcends all of that. So the app of the negative is really saying a double positive. Even God is love. God is not love. God is beyond every human measure, experience of love that, that ever was uh, found in, or any idea of love that, that ever has been. God is exalted higher, exalted beyond every experience of love we, we know. But the, it's the way that the fathers want to press the transcendent glory of God and, and just to remind us that whatever we think that, that we can say about God, we're, our, our human words are inadequate, insufficient. They don't, our words don't measure up to the ultimate task of expressing the glory and majesty of the one true living God. Can I ask a question? Certainly. Going back to holy, uh, what's the difference in the meaning when we say, like on the Bible says it's a holy Bible, but we say God is holy. What, what's the difference in what we're talking about there between the Bible is holy or this is a holy place or a holy object versus God is holy? Well, in the, in the sense of, on, on, the, on these, these are holiness of created categories. It's a created book. I mean, it's the word of God in written, but form and you could say the churches that we're going to say it's a holy place set up, that it's still set apart, holy as set apart, set aside. This book is set aside to to for the glory and honor and revelation of the truth of God and what He has given to us and what's been expressed and written about Him humanly. So it's set apart. It's set aside from other books. It's not just another book on the shelf. The church space is is set apart, is set aside. It's not just a meeting. It's just just another meeting place, not just another auditorium. It's a sanctuary. It's something again. Idea of holiness as apart, as separate as other. That that's how we would say holy. And then when you have a holy human being, that holy human being is still maybe living in the midst of the human family, but. That holiness, they're already kind of set apart because they're, they're transcending the ordinary and the everyday sinful uh, human life and growing towards God. And so, again, sort of separate and other and even otherworldly. Orthodoxy is comfortable with being otherworldly and not seeing it as, as sort of, oh, you're in retreat from reality or your head's in the clouds or you're. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're not impractical. You're, you're dreamy. No, we see it as, 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 the fruit of, of communion with, with the living God. Do you have your? Yes. <clears throat> Do the attributes that you've described here uh, pertain 
to each person in the Trinity or to God the Father? They they do uh, they do pertain to each person in the Trinity. In the Trinity. Yes. Because the last thing I'm about to say now is God is Father. But then I'm going to talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, yes. So it's the Holy Trinity. Yes. Yes. Embodies all. Yeah. This. I'm going to say what Saint Gregory the Theologian says: when I when we say God, we mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Christians. That that we claim that this is who I God is. Yes. No, it's a good question. That all the attributes are are reflected in each person of the Trinity. Yes. When we say that God is changeless, how um, how do we incorporate the kind of transition from the old covenant to the new in the things that Christ changed and modified and all that? How does that fall within that sphere of changelessness? Well, we would say that that. Christ himself didn't claim not to be contradicting anything in the old. He, came, he said, I came not to, to, uh, to end, uh, uh, you know, to, to uh, obliterate the law, the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. That, that he's not denying, uh, in fact, he speaks of not one, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass away. He's not, he's not, um, not. Reject, yes. He's not rejecting the old. Um, now, there a common a common attack on the faith um, is that the God of the Old Testament is pretty rough in in both his dealings with Israel and his directions for Israel to what to do to their enemies. That he's, you know, he's pretty. It's, it's a rough crowd. It's rough. It's a rough, rough time, and he's. It's pretty much. Um, you're my people, and and go kill those other people. And so people say, what is what kind of God is that? Is that, the, does Jesus, not does Jesus not refute that God? Does not does not refute that. Old Covenant God, and it's, you know, it's a legitimate question. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I've never really heard how the fathers deal with, though there were Gnostic groups early on that said there's two gods. And, and the Christian, the Christian fathers rejected that. There was two, the, the God of the Old Testament and the, God of the, and the God of the New Testament are like two different gods. Where the Old Testament God is like a demigod, is like inferior expression of God. Now the Christian revelation is the full and and true revelation of God, but um, I tend to look at it as as life was rough and tribal, and people were it was a it was a it was kill or be killed in some cases, and um, in often cases with between tribes of people. And um, I mean, there was trade and there was economic transactions, but there often was fighting and so in wars and so forth. And and the law and God having to spell out everything because this was a rough and and sort of crude people and it was crude times of of life. And you know, it, the full revelation of God is love, and and the expression of God is love in the person of Jesus. 
was the people of the world weren't ready for that in the old covenant times and god kind of had a had a hard sort of a, a strong reign on on israel and um sometimes it it comes off pretty from our point of view as as kind of a lot to digest a lot to look at but still even in all that there's the commandments of to love god and love your neighbor as yourself were given and um but uh so there's there's things to look at there but that's that's a typical criticism of of uh of of believing in god that you know the old testament god and the jesus and what's going on there but um that's kind of that's kind of i think how how it's looked at but but still the essentially important parts of the old testament christ does not in any way subvert but he's he claims to be fulfilling them any other questions on that yes so why did um god like impose eating kind of regulations in the old testament which which regular like just um you can't eat pork or shellfish or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And then, though, if in the book of Acts, he he tells St. Peter, he like he drops like a, what the Bible calls like a sheet, with very, like we would say video screen, kind of comes down, and all these various foods, God says, take and eat. And he says, I don't eat anything unclean. But in fact, so it was a change then to say it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to go ahead and eat. But um, why the strictures in the old covenant? I just maybe just a part of getting their attention. One of the things we say about the fast is there's no better way to get your attention religiously in that you to to not eat this or that. That that helps us concretely focus on a commandment well you can have this food and not that food and which in the church we kind of do that these you know um, with fasting and and fasting days and seasons so but we wouldn't say inherently that seafood shellfish are bad or that pork is bad you know for you but um, it's, it's hard to know exactly you know why that that stricture there other than some i think there were just here are the rules here are the rules you're an unruly people so i'm giving you rules you know you may not follow them but but you'll you'll know there's a rule there is a way in which i invite you to to live and and that's the way that you know which which ultimately anything that's a commandment is to bring god to mind because the whole, the whole reality of, of human fallen nature is we forget God. Um, minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, week to week. That, um, you know, the, the things in the Old Testament, in the, in the law, in the law were to help you to know this is how, this is what you do in the kitchen, this is what you do in the church, this is in the temple, so forth, that you there's prescriptions to help you to connect, to remember, here's what God wants, here's what God doesn't want. 
So I think it, it just comes down to the remembrance of God at some level. And, and we're physical beings, and so to, to help get our attention through food is certainly probably a very effective and important way. There might not be, you know, many others that are more important. So the other thing we say about God is that God is Father. In fact, God is Father with his, that has his Son and his Spirit. God is known as Father through His Son alone, that we enter into the father, fatherly relation with God through His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, God was not prayed to as Father. Jesus taught us to pray to God as Father. Christians call God Father because through Christ and the Church they receive the Holy Spirit and become adopted sons of God important passage is Galatians 4 4 through 7 but when the fullness of time was come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and because ye are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And that is our Christmas morning epistle reading. That very brief, direct passage. That that's so, here's an example of the context of a, of a passage of Scripture. We tie it to the Lord's birth. And so that through, through the birth of the Son of God, Humanly, we, we are given to become ourselves children of God. In the early church, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, was part of the secret second half of the liturgy in which catechumens and visitors were dismissed. And so the belief there was that only a baptized Christian could, could properly call God Father, having become adopted sons of God, through baptism into the life of Jesus Christ. So we become that ye might receive the adoption of sons, adopted children of God, each of us. The love of God the Father is shown in his sending his Son into the world to save it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 also the first letter of John, 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We claim as Christians that the Holy Trinity, God revealed as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is from the deepest living experience and knowledge of God, of those that have prayed through the centuries of the Church's experience. 
But again, when St. Gregory said, when we speak of God, we mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By Holy Trinity, we do not mean three gods, but one God who is in three persons, and each person, divine person, is holy and entirely God, not part of God. That the Father is totally God, the Son is totally God, the Holy Spirit is totally God. God is one in his divine nature, or his divine essence, and God is three in his divine, in the divine persons. Holy Trinity, Tri-Unity, three in one. It's the only equation in reality in which one plus one plus one equals one. That the Father has his word and his spirit, as St. Irenaeus spoke of them as like two arms of God, but again, they are each of them definite persons, not forces or appendages of, of God. As one Russian theologian said, our social program is the dogma of the Trinity. That the understanding that God is a communion and a community of persons, many living as one, three living as one, is the, the model and the, and the goal for our human community. That we should ourselves be many living in unity, living as one. For for us, the Trinity is not is not high speculative theology, but of real practical importance to every Christian. Saint Gregory said, "The doctrine of the Trinity is the fountainhead of our faith." And the life and worship of the Orthodox Church is directed to the Holy Trinity in the relation of the three persons towards each other and towards man and the world. So we we see that has de- it has developed that there are two models of understanding of the Trinity based on the original model and a variation that developed in the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic theology. And you have that article there on Filioque which will help you better explain what I'm talking about. In the Orthodox vision of God as Trinity, which we claim is how God has revealed himself. God is Father at the head of the Trinity and has is the source of the Son and the Spirit. He's the monarch of, of the Trinity. The Father is without beginning. He is the eternal source of the, of the Blessed Trinity. The Son, the Son is co-eternal. Eternally begotten or generated from the Father. The Greek word is agenitos, is begotten, is generated from the very being of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the, from the Father. And we have these two terms which um, we don't understand what it means. What, this, what it is for the Son to be generated from the Father versus what it is for the Spirit to be, to be in procession from the Father. These are just the revealed terms that the Lord Himself revealed to us. We specifically look to 
John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, this is the Lord speaking, for when, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So what, what Christ is saying is the eternal origin of the Spirit is with God the Father. In the earthly mission of the Spirit, the, he, he is sent by the Son, but his eternal source and origin is with the Father, as is the eternal source and origin of the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and is sent into the world through the Son. The Roman uh, Church, after the split with Orthodoxy, or rather, at the time of the, around the split of the, with Orthodoxy, had changed the creed. And we'll speak of the creed, I think. We'll have time for that. But uh, you have that in front of you, too. But the uh, Roman Church added a phrase to the creed in Latin filioque, which, is, which actually is a conjunction of three words and means and the son that the Roman church added to the creed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son that the Holy Spirit has his eternal origin not in God the father alone but in the father and the son so that the Roman this is the orthodox version and we would say the original understanding of God as Trinity in the, in the Roman version it's the Father and the Son jointly being the source of the Holy Spirit. And you have that diagrammed in that article as well. We reject it because it goes against the very words of our Lord, as I just read to you in John fifteen twenty six, that um, Christ says, the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and not the Father and the Son, uh, we reject it because it's, a, it's an addition to the creed that was established by an ecumenical council that cannot be changed except by an ecumenical council. Uh, it's also a false vision of God. We look, for instance, to also when in history is the first time that God is revealed as Holy Trinity? The baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus, very good. What is happening when, when St. John is baptizing Jesus? The voice of the Father, right? So this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit, right, comes from the Father, resting upon the Son. We would say that in itself is a vision of, of God as uh, the Father as source of both Son and Spirit. And, and, a, and a, the revelation of God as Trinity and rightly understood. This... Um, this version of, of, of the Trinity, we say, subordinates God the Father and ultimately uh, subordinates and, and sort of confuses the role of the Spirit in our, in, our, in our salvation and in the Spirit's relation to us and the rest of creation as a, as a once had a a friend, a Catholic friend, say to me years ago, um, 
He said, now isn't, isn't the Holy Spirit the love between the Father and the Son? And I said, no, John, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Um, and that's, that's the distinction. What has become of the Filioque version of the Trinity, which was introduced in the early, well, it was really introduced in the 800s by Charlemagne. Um, Charlemagne was a pretender to, well, I mean, was a, an ambitious man who wanted to reestablish the Roman Empire back in Western Europe. He didn't like the Greeks, didn't like that they moved the seat of the empire from Rome to Constantinople in the east. And so around the year 800, he's looking for a reason to bring to have a separation from the Greeks, from the Byzantines, and wanting, and wanting to have himself crowned as Holy Roman Emperor, which he will have, which he does. He gets the popes on his side. But he, he discovers that in, in, in Spain, this doctrine of filioque was used because for some reason in Spain, the Arian heresy persisted in, into, the, into the later uh, Middle Ages, uh, medieval time, into the 6th, 7th century that still was Arianism in Spain, the teaching that Jesus is not divine, that he's not God the same as God the Father. And so some of the, the Spanish developed this idea of filioque. Well, let's, to bolster the divine, uh, uh, um, what's the word, pedigree, or the, or the divine uh, image of Jesus, let's say that he's the source of the Holy Spirit too, together with the Father. So see, he's the source of the Holy Spirit. He must be God. Well, it's a, still, it's a false teaching. It's a heresy from, from, from the Orthodox point of view. Charlemagne or his or his guys, his theologians, hear about this and say, "Oh yeah, the, let's the, blame the Greeks for dropping the filioque out of the creed." Well, they the filioque was never in the creed. It's not in the it's not in the scripture. Um, so this was a point of contention he would use for political re- reasons, using theology for political ambition. Um, not one of our favorites, Charlemagne. Or Charles Magnet, my this one professor used to call him, which would crack me up. He was anyway, Charlemagne. But um, so it's it's impro- it's improperly entered into the the theological framework of the faith, and it's simply a wrong vision of God. And we say ultimately that it 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 blurs the identity and place of, of and work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And we say that over time, this Holy, the Holy Spirit taught as the love between the Father and the Son sounds nice, sounds great, but the love is a force, is not the third person of God. It's more like there's this energy between Father and Son. We say that in Western model of Christianity with with a filioque understanding of, of Trinity entering into men's minds over time, over some, over a couple centuries, that this led to a loss of what exactly is the role of the Spirit in the church, and that, in a sense, to fill a theological void or a miss or a or a, this reduction of the Spirit in in the understanding and in the in the ongoing life of the Western Church. That a more top-heavy, human-administered uh, uh, 
version of Christianity developed to, to fill that void of the loss of the spirit, as one theologian puts it. Orthodox writers argued that the two consequences of the filioque, the subordination of the Holy Spirit and the overemphasis on the unity of God, have helped to bring about a distortion in the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Church. Because the role of the Spirit has been neglected in the West, the Church has come to be regarded too much as an institution of this world, governed in terms of earthly power and jurisdiction, and just as the Western doctrine of God of just as in the Western doctrine of God, unity was stressed at the expense of diversity, so in the Western conception of church unity has triumphed over diversity, and the result has been too great an emphasis on human authority, which is to say papalism. So, but when we speak of the fact, when we speak of, of that, the, that our understanding of the Holy Trinity is not simply some fine high points of, of theology. We remember that all God's actions towards us are from the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Our communication, our communion, our, con- our connection to God is in the Holy Spirit through the Son to the Father. That our understanding of God as Trinity understanding of God as Trinity affects our prayer, defines our prayer, patterns our prayer. um, That we see Christianity's life in the Spirit and that we have communion and connection to God the Father through the Son, who has restored our our right relationship with God as as with God the Father, with God as our Father, and, and us to be adopted adopted children of God. And so again, the ideas, the the the, the Trinitarian theology is not simply just this kind of speculation of whatever. God communicates us in the communicates with us in the three persons of the one true and living God. We say. Questions on that? Yes. Is the understanding of the Holy Spirit, is the love between the Father and the Son, is that a wrong teaching, or is that just an incomplete teaching that it's that plus more? It's an incomplete teaching, but it's a teaching that obscures the Holy Spirit as the third person of God. And indeed, when we speak of grace in orthodoxy, we're speaking of like grace as a code word for the Holy Spirit. That you're dealing with God personally um, in the Holy Spirit, not just with a force of love that somehow emanates from the Father and Son. Now sadly, as in too many things in the Reformation, when they were looking for what to throw out of, of Roman Catholic theology, they bought this. They kept the filioque, understanding of the Trinity. And um, we don't, unfortunately, we don't know why, but they did. But I don't think they understood the history of it or what the background of it was. Hell, it was just kind of more or less illegally pushed through and used as a political tool to separate and divide Christians East and West. The popes, the first popes, refused to to listen to Charlemagne and do and and to insert the filioque <coughs> phrase, to insert the phrase into the creed. It was only 
some generations later that finally some pope gave in and and posted and posted the creed with the with the filioque added. But we we argue that theology that words of theology have consequences and those consequences have revealed themselves in the differences between orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism. Sorry, just one more question. So sure. would it be accurate to say that the Holy Spirit is the grace of God and also kind of the, the energy of God, so, so yes. to speak, I guess? Yes, yes, yes. With the remembrance that the energies of God are his personal presence, not just a force. Not just a force. That God, the Holy Spirit as love, is is insufficient and can lead to error um, if if we leave it just there. The Holy Spirit is humble and, and is always transparent to Christ. At the altar, we ask um, God to send down the Holy Spirit upon the altar, and then we say, t- making the change by the Holy Spirit, that the change from bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ is administered by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings Christ to us. And again, we're never separated. The, the three persons of the Trinity are never separated in their actions. So um, sometimes, I mean, most of the prayers of the liturgy are actually to God the Father, that you're praying to the Father uh, in light of Jesus Christ. But then there are also prayers to Christ, and then there's prayers to the Holy Spirit as well. So we're, we're, we're always cognizant and aware. While we, do, while we do not understand fully, and we're not, you know, this this doesn't explain a whole lot other than diagrammatically gives us a vision of of how the persons relate to one another, but we don't God is still a great mystery and and what we say about um about the Trinity is that if if it is a it is a revelation of God and it and it's hard to it's hard to brush it aside as a human invention which an atheist might do simply because left to our devices we will gravitate towards the one or towards the three mentally rationally intellect our mind can handle one which the Jews and Muslims go to there to one one one's enough one God, mono, radical monotheism, one God, or two, or two, or and and accuse us of worshiping three, which we don't, which we don't intend to. So, but the human mind again gravitates one or to the other, but not one plus one plus one equals one. We would argue that that's exactly an ex evidence of truth of of get if if we sat down to invent a god this is not where we go this is not what we would come up with this would it's 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 a little bit challenging it's in fact it's very challenging it's not it's not simple it's not tight it's not nice nice neat package that there's one god and three persons and it's one god and 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 three and one and one in three. 
but we claim that this is this is the God who has shown Himself to us. God has revealed this. We wouldn't we wouldn't make if we had to make it up. We wouldn't make this up. We would probably go with the one too. Probably, you know. Yes. expression of perfect love that father has his son um, who is the son of his love as it's referred to in in the in the Greek in scripture and the, the, the God the God expresses his love in, in, in the in the union of his son and his spirit together with him I mean the, this this poem that goes through even the view of, of the one God of the Muslims or the Jews and how that's so God is not alone. God is not alone in himself. Yeah. yeah. Some references in the Old Testament to the Trinity or foreshadowings. Even in Genesis 126, let us make let us make man according to our image. Some say that's the royal we, but but you, you, we would argue that that's God the Trinity saying let us let us make man according to our image. And the the, the uh, vision of Isaiah in chapter Isaiah six, holy, 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 the holy, holy, holy is itself for the, each one holy for each of the three persons, holy, 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 Lord of Sabbath. In the New Testament, our Lord, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, go forth and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is the blessing of Saint Paul at the end of. Uh, near the end of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 13. Uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, which we do that exactly in the liturgy at a certain point, that blessing. Uh, first letter, first epistle of John 5, 7, where he says plainly, there are three that bear record in heaven, Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one. 1 John 5, 7. So again, false teachings of God, false teachings of the Trinity, wrong doctrines have to do with the relation of the three persons. So again, those those false um, those false very human ideas of God range from again monotheism god is god is one exclusively there's no son no spirit or they're creatures of god now the next one the intermediate is modalism modalism is also what our minds tend to that god is not three persons but but three modes of the same being that god is one and appears in different forms or modes Different masks, like like one like a one man play, but wearing different disguises as three as two other persons. Um, the problem with that, with this idea of modalism, and people will use, for instance, uh, water, ice, and vapor as 
an example of the Trinity. Well, no, those are examples of three modes of the same substance. We would say that's exactly modalism. That's not our Trinitarian expression. The Trinitarian belief is three individual, radical, unique persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly united in one. So there's diversity and unity in, in, in the Trinity. But modalism would turn the gospel into divine play-acting, where uh, you know the son's in the garden praying, but he's really praying not to a different person, to the father, but, well, I'm, right now I'm being the son, but I'm going to pretend I'm praying to, my, to the father, but I'm, I'm really not. And so, again, either, either the son is speaking to the father in, re, in reality, uh, or he's just a different mode of, you know, it's it's a and it's kind of an, even a schizophrenia in the in the son's prayers to the father. Then yes. With the, um, the, the three leaf clover, would that be a good? It's shaky. <laughs> Why do you say that? I mean, it's three, and then it goes to one step. Well, the Irish liked it. That's why. <laughs> but I mean, is, is it okay? Is it appropriate? It's it's okay. The the if the if the leaves were different, say the leaves are identical. Yeah. So it's kind of modal. It's kind of modally. Would an apple be a better description? A what? An apple. I remember growing up, there was this book that described it as as an apple is three separate parts of the skin, the meat, and the core, but they're all together one. I think it's great that you see our minds we're trying to find something that that connects but there really is not quite anything yes so if I'm if I'm praying to the Father it's through the Holy Spirit it's in the Spirit through the Son we would say through the sun. Yeah. So if you're if you have a prayer to Jesus Christ, like the Jesus prayer. Yes. That prayer goes through the Holy Spirit is in the Holy Spirit. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to get that. Yeah. And any No one can say Jesus is Lord except in by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. Okay. Likewise, if the Father speaks to you, I know the it comes through the Holy Spirit. Does that go through the Son too? Well, it, it you know, it's the, I, I know these it, are difficult. Yeah, well, no, as Christians, we would say it's the Son that's made it possible for you to have this the deepest communion with God and be in, have life in the Spirit. It's it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other name in heaven, you know, by which we may be saved, which is to say by which we may connect to God. So it's always we're always when we we believe if we believe God is the Trinity, then we're always praying to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. However, we break it down. Jesus' prayer, prayers to Jesus specifically, the Holy Spirit is working inspiring us to pray encouraging us to pray 
any prayer to the Son is, is to the Father as well. There's no shortchanging on my am I shortchanging one of the persons? No. You know, it's not. I was just trying to emphasize that the Holy Trinity really means something in our lives. It's not simply, well, we believe in this God versus that God, but you just you still just no. I mean it's God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity and has revealed himself that way, you know, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for claiming to be God and for claiming to reconcile us to the Father through his act of self-offering and life and death and resurrection and so you know it's not the tri- the trinity has been presented to us in the gospel well i accept you know. the trinity is a mystery and it's still a mystery you know and it's still a mystery so it's all i mean that's yeah. why i think it's hard to yeah. get into your mind the uh communicate the way you communicate with the trinity sure but I see the emphasis there, though, is we want to we want to emphasize life in the spirit, which which the West has sort of lost track of, and then reclaims it in kind of over the top ways, Pentecostalism, you know, manifesting gifts and showing off your gifts, and mm-hmm. that's not life in the spirit. You know, life in the spirit is as Saint Seraphim of Sarov who's a holy hermit who then opens his door to the world and heals many souls through his presence and teachings and gifts but um so that I think that's what I'm we're trying to convey there is that it is a mystery but it's still the mystery comes down to us in the spirit in the old covenant, would we still understand like Moses and Abraham and Noah interacting with God in the same way through the in the Spirit through the Son to the Father? It has to be, has to be. The, the, I'm sorry, the, I didn't understand the question. With the old covenant, like Moses and Noah, are they still doing that in the Spirit through the Son? Oh, okay. Yeah. It is our. It is the teaching of the fathers that essentially, though. Those Old Testament figures are dealing with the Son before He's incarnate. That He's He's the one speaking to Moses, and that's why He has the oh, on the I am that I am over His over His halo, but um, that He's already leading His people. He's already guiding His people. He is the, the pillar of cloud and the will and so forth, and the and the and leading the people through the you know in the Exodus. Um, before his become taken flesh, but that still goes to the Father. But it and the, it's not that the Jews didn't have some idea of God as Father, but they didn't. It wasn't an every every day, every day understanding. It was kind of Jesus pushed it home, like you know, you you are children of your Father, and 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 to see God as Father. And ultimately through him, yes. Um, I've always been curious about why Jesus would say that he needed to ascend so that the Holy Spirit could come. And it's probably a bigger um, thing to, to cover here. But do you know of any um, Orthodox writers that deal with that? 
Yeah, the question is, is, is why does Jesus say that, that he must ascend, that he must go away in order, to send, in order for the Spirit to come? And I don't know that there's been an answer to that. I've, I've never exactly, I don't know that I have read something on that specifically as to why he must, and if I don't go, the Spirit won't come. He more or less says that. Um, that's kind of a mystery as to why that is. Almost like I've done my part, now the Holy Spirit needs to come at Pentecost but um, no there's there's really no good expl- explanation for that that I'm aware of I'm sure somebody's written about it or speculated on it but I don't I don't know of any I'm not I don't recall any saint saying specifically how that works though though I guess if we if I go back and dig in um, St. John Chrysostom's commentaries maybe there's something there um I may try to do that. In fact, Archbishop Demetri has a commentary on uh, the Gospel of John. I think it's in the Gospel of John that he says that. Unless I go away, the Spirit. So I'm gonna. I'll, I will look at that well, too. Well, if, if uh, the Trinity's one person, then he would have to go away so that all other can do and guide the church in a spiritual way. Not yeah. Teaching. No. I mean, I'm not. There's no. There's no argument. I'm just. Yeah. I mean, Christ. But, Jesus Christ Himself. Was but Christ is the head of the church, and he doesn't he doesn't like abandon his church. So, but he 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 uses the term "go away," though we would say. And but then he says, "Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world." So he's is he not really going away? Going away, it's like stepping aside, maybe. But for a while, I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah, body had to take his body to into the life of God. That's the, 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 the ascension is that's our emphasis that human a human being in Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ, is taken into the very life of God. You got a question in the back? Yes. We are called to become fit vessels, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. And we'd have to say some people have more of that presence of the Spirit than others due to the state of their soul. But we can't measure it. But it's the saint is full of the Holy Spirit, is spirit-bearing, is a holy, holy man, holy woman. But we all have some presence of God's Spirit with us and in us. So, so God is one in his divine nature, three in divine persons. Just as we are one human nature in this room, but many human persons. Um, so God is one in what he is, divine. God is three in who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is a great mystery, but again, it's no invention of man's imagination because it's incomprehensible. That It's beyond what we, again, what we would have what we would have uh, concluded humanly. I've given you um, a copy of the Creed in your handouts. I had one of my own. And just to show you with the underlining that what the Creed really is 
is a confession of the Holy Trinity. The creed put together by the first two ecumenical councils in, in the year uh, Nicaea, in the year 325, Constantinople, year 381. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and in one Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's some, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, secondary phrases uh, elaborating on that. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, one baptism, the resurrection of the dead. That really, the, that's what the creed is. The creed's, well, what, what, what exactly are we, are, are, is important in the creed? It's, it's the Holy Trinity. It's a, it's a confession of, of the Holy Trinity. And, and, uh, and the uh, subordinate phrase, that's what the word I was looking for. Um, and that the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, that's the original version of the creed, as established by Nicaea, and, the, and again, the Romans added, and the Son, and, and that can, was, was a, a improper addition, and, and wrongfully added, and the Romans will say, well, it, means all, it all means the same thing. Well, then why don't you take it out? Well, it all, no, well, you know, we're right, you're wrong. So that's, I mean, if, it's one of those, I've, I once read a 35-page explanation argument from a Jesuit about how it, it, it really all means the same thing. And then my, my, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, well, if you need 35 pages to try to convince yourself and us of this, then maybe that's the problem right there. Uh, that's a sign that you're, you're, you're really fighting for your... You make your point, and and having to 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 dance around that, uh, you know, to do the to to the samba, the mambo, and everything else to try to make your point. But um, that's what the creed is, really, and uh, and it's called the symbol of faith, the bringing together of of what the essential points of our belief are, and um, the creed is what is confessed when you enter the church. So it's something that you want to tr challenge yourself to commit to memory. Um, for the fathers, the key was, um, in the creed, was to want to, to, to proclaim the divinity of Jesus Christ. And they use that phrase, begotten, not made, of one essence with the Father, of one essence, homoousios, that he's of the same divine nature, essence as God the Father. That that was critical, and 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 then to make some points of reference to history, that he was crucified from for us under Pontius Pilate, and so forth. But um, that's really that's really what the, uh, the 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 creed is. Yes. There's um, sometimes when we bless ourselves during the creed. When should we be blessing ourselves? Where these underlines are. And one God, the Father Almighty, one Lord Jesus Christ, then you get a break. And then down in the Holy, the Holy Spirit, one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And then it's, uh, after that, it's sort of optional of whether you want to make any more after that. So there's kind of four key places. And that's when they ring the bell. The bells are rung. One God, the Father Almighty, one Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So you could just bells. Yep. Yep. It's all, it's all connected. It's all. I <laughs> uh, just want to conclude with um, this is a hymn from Pentecost.
so Pentecost with the idea now the full, full revelation of the Holy Trinity has taken place. The Holy Spirit has come and has done his part in the outpouring upon the apostles. And so here's a hymn we sing at, at, in the Orthodox service of Pentecost. Come, O ye people, let us worship the Godhead in three persons, the Son and the Father with the Holy Spirit. For the Father before all time begat the Son, who is co-eternal and is equally enthroned. And the Holy Spirit, who was with the Father and is glorified with the Son, one might, one essence, one Godhead. Adoring the same, let us all say, O Holy God, who by the Son didst make all things, through the cooperation of the Holy Spirit, O Holy Mighty One, through whom we have known the Father, and through whom the Holy Spirit came into the world, O Holy Immortal One, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who proceeds from the Father and rests in the Son, O Holy Trinity, glory to Thee. So there's a case where the church also is entirely comfortable in encouraging the people to, to sing of the Holy Trinity, to understand God as Trinity, uh, for this theology of, of the Trinity uh, to challenge us uh, and, and so forth. And so that's our, that's our God. Well, thank you all very much. Again, next time uh, you don't have to worry about food. But you might want to, so you might want to eat before you come. But um, we're gonna, well, God willing, we will meet in the. Uh, we'll meet here as usual, and probably will be coffee. But then we'll go over to the church, and and spend the evening there on uh, Tuesday the twenty seventh.